that. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. You have now entered the mind of Morton's Law. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Morton's Law. This is episode 20 on this Sunday, July 5th. I'm uh, recording this on Sunday evening, so if any news breaks after this, sorry, I couldn't get that to you. But I just wanted to say hello to everyone. And uh, please remember to write reviews if you can, if you... I'm not sure what platform you can write reviews on, but whatever you have the ability to do so, please help me out on that aspect. Also, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm soon going to be creating different content for that YouTube channel, so this way people can see my face, I guess, for those who care. I don't know. Um, So yeah, I'll have stuff here, and then I'll also have different stuff there. That's my goal soon. Um, Also, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Morton's underscore law. And, of course, that YouTube channel is Morton's Law Podcast, as is the name of the show. So, uh, how was everybody's July 4th weekend? Uh, mine was miserable and alone, as I guess I should be, because no one wants to be around somebody like me. <laughs> I'm trying to be positive, people. <laughs> I, um, I read, um, I'm, I'm actually close to finishing this book, Angry All the Time, and I want to say it's helped for the most part. Although today I did have a bit of an outburst when my uh, laptop froze for a moment. So I kind of did lose it momentarily. I guess that's easy to do when you've been angry for about 20 years. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you just want to turn it off. It's not that easy to do. But I did have a good stretch. So I had a good stretch without anger. And hopefully that's just a lapse and I'll continue that back up. But yeah, I mean, my life continues to be torture as is every day. I really do feel like there's a higher power. And I know this doesn't sound like I'm, I'm helping myself in any way, shape, or form, but I feel like there's this higher power where there's always a dark cloud hovering over me. And even when I do have that optimistic outlook on life, I still feel like that dark cloud is just has more power. And as if there's a, a greater power that just enjoys me being miserable. And once again, my gnats don't go away. Uh, yes, I know it's becoming painful to hear, but it's just imagine living with this on a daily basis. I have tried everything. I have I bombed my place this week, people. Listen to that. I used those bug bombs that says it almost gets rid of everything. I was even willing to, if it got rid of me, I would have been okay with that. But I leave the apartment for two hours, as it states. I come back, and within a minute, I felt a gnat in my hair. And I just went, you got to be kidding me. I mean, what greater proof is there that I'm just meant to be tortured in this life than that? So it didn't work. So now I have to call an exterminator and hope my landlord can handle this situation for me. Because this is brutal. This No one should live like this. I, I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe it's in my mind. Maybe I'm losing my mind to the point where none of this is happening. I'm envisioning flying things that go past that I could barely see. And then they bite me. I mean, it's to the point now where I don't know if they're, if, if I'd rather them, they go in my eyes also. Would I rather they're in my eyes, bite me on the leg, my foot, even my dick, as I told you before? I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, if I could write a book, I would call it Mein Kampf. But apparently that title has been taken already. 
by someone who allegedly did some horrific things to some people who definitely don't deserve any of that. So uh, there's that. So I've been watching, I mean, I don't know what you guys have been watching during this quarantine, because this is, I mean, now where are we, over three months with this, approaching four months. And uh, I've been watching a lot of shows. I think I told you guys I was watching uh, Daredevil, which was incredible. And I wanted to go check out something from DC, because as everyone knows, DC movies are usually a disappointment, but everyone says, hell, go watch their TV shows. So I was like, all right. So I went on IMDb, I checked out the highest rated TV shows. And uh, I was like, okay, just based on how I how it looked, I was like, okay, let me watch The Arrow. So I'm I've been watching The Arrow. I'm now on season four, and if I could go back to season one, I mean, the story is incredible and almost ridiculous at the same time. I mean, this this billionaire playboy Oliver Queen is on a boat with his father, and oh by the way, uh, here's the thing: if you don't want to hear anything about the TV show The Arrow and you plan to watch this. There's going to be some mild spoilers over the next couple of minutes. So you have an opportunity to get out right now. Okay, so he's on he's, he's on this boat with his father and his, well, what I thought was his girlfriend. And we later learned it's his girlfriend's sister. So they, the bomb, well, we later learned it was a bomb that hit the ship. And they survive on an island. Well, he survives on an island. The father eventually kills himself in their life raft. And so he makes his way back eventually, as we keep learning season to season, on his time that he supposedly spent five years on this island, which wasn't the case. And it's interesting, a lot of the concept in terms of how the words that they use, and it makes me laugh and how he communicates with people. Like there's this one episode in season one where he, he encounters this huntress and Keep in mind, he cheated on his girlfriend with her sister. And uh, the Huntress, like, I guess they were having a conversation where he referenced the fact that, you know, they buried the, the sister, even though they never discovered the body. Well, later on, of course, there's more to that story. Uh, and he's having this conversation with her. They had already had sex, by the way. And now she's sad. And she references the fact that, you know, I just don't want to be hurt. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, you just heard the story about him sleeping with his girlfriend's sister. You don't want to be hurt? I mean, I, I was waiting for him to say, well, if you don't have a sister, you have nothing to worry about. I promise I'll be faithful to you. It's just like, what? I can't believe some of the things that I hear on the show. Then he has the, 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 the ex-girlfriend. Her father is a detective. So in one season, he's trying to hunt him down. It was disproven that he was the arrow. Somehow they figured a way to disprove he was the arrow. Then in another season, they're like best buddies. And although he still doesn't know who he is, that he's Oliver Queen. And it's just like I, some of these things that happen throughout this show is like, it's good. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the show. It's highly rated. Well, not highly rated, but some episodes are better than others. I mean, the first three seasons are really strong. I'm on season four where apparently it's going to turn for the worse halfway through this season. So I'm waiting for that. But there's some of the, I mean, it's a show about secrets. Everybody's keeping secrets from the other and the things they say to each other. For example, the, the character Thea, which is Oliver's sister. The other, in the last episode I was watching season four, uh, Laurel Lance, 
who is now one of known as the Canary because her sister, of course, was murdered. Well, there's more to that. <laughs> this is so much going on here, okay? People, stay with me for a second. So Laurel goes over to... Thea walks into the room. She looks really sad. And Laurel goes, are you okay? I'm like, wait a second. Is she okay? Have you been following this show for four seasons? I don't know. Let's break down Thea's timeline of what has happened to her in four seasons, shall we? Okay. So Thea finds out, first of all, we found out early on she was addicted to drugs after she thought Oliver was dead. So she became a drug addict, right? Then when Oliver returns, she finds out that her mom cheated on her father with the man who is basically the town murderer, Malcolm Merlin, who basically blew up the whole city at the end of season one. So she has to deal with that. That's her father. That's her real father. So she tries to stay away from him as much as possible. And then at the end of, what was it, season two, he basically comes to her rescue and saves her. And then for a bunch of episodes, he's training her how to, how to fight. And then it just spirals out of control from there, just in terms of her timeline. So then he eventually drugs her, right? Listen to this. He drugs her. Because he finds out that the League of Nations in which he was trained how to fight is now after him. So he trains her to be a killer. Then he drugs her, which, and then she goes and kills Laurel Lance's sister, who was the original canary. So she had no knowledge that she killed this person because she was under the influence, right? So again, just think of the question that I asked at the beginning, what Laurel Lance asked. Thea, are you okay? So, okay, so then, ready? It, no, it just gets worse here. So after she finds out she killed the sister, then the leader of the League of Assassins, uh, Raz Azul, I believe that's how you say his name, he comes and literally murders her. So Thea is dead, right? So then Oliver Queen, just to get his sister to live again, he has to bring her to where the League of Nations exists. And they did some thing with her, and they brought her back to life to which she would then be different because she would have issues for, I don't know, what whatever you want to say. So she's back to life. So she's back to life. And after all that, what do you think? Is she okay? I don't know. It's, just, it's unbelievable the things that goes on in this show. But if you haven't seen it, it is worth the watch. You also have some good laughs along the way. And that's about it. I just like, I wanted to share that show with you. So uh, we're going to take a brief time out. We're going to come back with wrestling news. I also have uh, some sports. I'm going to talk about Cam Newton going to the Patriots, uh, mixed martial arts. Burns is out, 251. Apparently he's sick. They're not 100% certain if he tested positive for corona. We're going to get on that later. And uh, Jorge Masvidal, what's the latest on him? Could he be in for UFC 251? And a lot went on in the world of wrestling this week. We had the New Japan Cup. We have the Wednesday Night Wars, some ratings news. A lot going on. You're listening to Morton's Law. Stay tuned. Coming back after this. Welcome back to Morton's Law. I'm your host, Christopher Morton. Thank you for checking out this episode. 
Like I said, a lot of wrestling to get into. Let's just uh, talk about one thing that I've seen a lot lately online, which is a discussion talking about modern day wrestling versus yesteryear. And it's all over Twitter, people talking about this is the best time to be a fan with all the video libraries we have on WWE Network and such and forth and, and all these different aspects of how many TV shows we have to watch all week. But then the people from, from in the past will counter that by just talking about, well, what does it mean though? What does it mean that we have all this wrestling? So many people compare the errors and it doesn't make any sense because granted there's more shows today, more to watch, but what are we getting? What really are we getting? And there's been a great discussion too, just in terms of how people get over and, and the inability to get it now. Granted, we're during this pandemic, we don't have a crowd, so it's hard to gauge everything in terms of how people are getting over. But even pre-pandemic, the discussion is, well, nobody can get over anymore. People don't know how to get over. And then they say, oh, well, you can blame the internet. The internet ruined this, the internet ruined that. Uh, people expose the business. There's no more kayfabe, all these different reasons why the ratings are down today. And that's the thing, though. When you think about the 1990 wars, the Monday Night Wars in the 90s, the Internet existed in 95. I remember having the Internet in 95. Granted, it wasn't as big as it is today and not everyone had it. But when you fast forward to even 98, 99, more and more people got it as time went on. So therefore, when you had the peak of the industry, which you could say was 97, 98 and in that area, of course, even after WCW got sold, WWE was still putting in tremendous ratings up until about 0102 when the numbers started to come down. But even then, it didn't impact the business, the Internet. How did it impact the business? Now, people knew stuff, but it didn't hurt the ratings. That's the key. And people were still over. People got over without having to do something ridiculous. People played their character well. I mean, recently I was just talking about online about the Road Warriors and the Rock and Roll Express, for example. I've been watching a lot of 80s wrestling lately. And the Road Warriors, they didn't have to do anything. They came out, people talk about the Road Warriors pop, right? So the pop was more about the, the entrance. However, when they get into the ring, like Road Warrior Hawk would, would do a press slam and you would hear the crowd explode. I mean, when we talk about the Greensboro Coliseum or outside in a stadium show, the people would lose their mind. Animal would hit a clothesline. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express, you would hear the girls yelling. That's another thing. In, in today's wrestling, where's the females? We don't hear anyone, whether they're teens, in their 20s, 30s. People talk about how back in the day, in the 80s, you would see old women around the ringside. They would watch wrestling. Now you just got a bunch of these, these gamers. That's it. Who's watching wrestling today? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that no one from the 80s or 90s watching today, because that's, that's not true, because I am. So there's just a smaller percentage of the people that watched during the Attitude Era and the big boom that we encountered in the 90s. Most of those people are gone. And now we have a different audience, especially the AEW audience. Well, I don't know what they want to see. I mean, it doesn't make any sense when we talk about them. But, I mean, just, just the, the regular pop during a match, people... Now, well, again, we haven't heard any crowd for three plus months. I'm not saying that. But... You can't dismiss what you've heard over the last several years in wrestling and how fans are sitting on their end. Nobody's excited. Nobody, even these matches that get huge stars, like five and six stars. I'm not talking about Japan because they're a different audience. I'm talking about here in the States when you get that occasional, like, for example, when you had, what was it, Omega and Page 
and they took on oh man my memory's failed was it it was uh phoenix and and pentagon didn't didn't Meltzer say it was one of the greatest tag matches ever is that the match i'm thinking of and what were the fans doing there's no like there's no reaction to what you're gonna get and if you have never seen 1980s wrestling or you vaguely remember it go on youtube and go watch the nwa go watch mid-south go watch world class and just listen to the crowd and how you listen to the, the the baby faces when the heels do something when the heels are getting the heat that they talk about when they're beating on the baby faces and then the baby faces make that hot tag that especially in a tag match you get that hot tag the roof comes off the building it's unbelievable these people were so passionate i don't know what happened to people that this doesn't exist anymore but a lot of it is on the wrestlers today it is it's the way they don't work these moves they don't sell they don't tell a story all this is is it's an indictment on the industry and this is why guys don't get over them we talk about wrestlers on twitter wrestlers need to stay off of twitter you are killing yourself you are killing any momentum your character may have it's unbelievable stay away from the internet it's it's time it's time to just stop doing it let's try to rebuild wrestling let's rebuild wrestling i was i was in this discussion on a message board talking about how we rebuild wrestling by stop doing every move in the book let's stop killing the business as people would say let's make it more i hate to use the word generic i don't mean generic you can still use spots but you have to make the spots mean something you can't hit the same spot every move every match people are now waiting for it i know you can say oh well, well guys have a move set guys have a move yes but if you're gonna do some crazy off the top rope um whether it's a moonsault or a shooting star press you can't use it every match it has to mean something and in today's business what is what does anything really mean and we got to get that back we got to make the fans care again let's make everybody care again i don't know all right so let's get right into uh the week in wrestling so I wanted to go to NXT and I want to talk about AEW and the ratings this week because a lot happened. So just some things that, that stood out to me on NXT was uh, the strap match. Did you see the strap match with Dexter Loomis and, and Roderick Strong? I mean, it was an okay strap match. I'm not going to put it up there with some of the greats I've seen, but it was really good. It was 17 minutes long. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I, don't, I, don't, I can't get into Dexter Loomis. We'll talk about the ratings later on, of course. Uh, it was a funny part where they had the strap and Morrow said strap on and I went okay <laughs> strap on uh, yeah I'm sorry <laughs> little things like that make me laugh so uh, Loomis won so Roderick Strong I guess you could say he's dead in terms of his character they just killed him off if this were a movie he'd be dead we get a really good carrying cross video package now here's the best part of the video package is that at the end cross is talking about what his plans are and everything that he plans to do going forward and we get a tease the tease that i talked about last week if you listen to the show go back and listen to it i referenced the possibility of cross getting involved in the main event next week at great american bash on wednesday night which of course is title for title and could could he interfere in that finish could we not see a double champion with with uh, either keith lee or adam cole so they kind of le- tease it, and I, I really do believe we're going to get some finish. I don't think Cross is going to help either guy. I think he could take both guys out and just be standing there at the end of the show. And that makes sense 
based on the news we got with John Moxley that I'll just get into now, I might as well, and the fact that Moxley will not be available due to, uh, of course, Renee Young, his wife, getting COVID. And I guess with the quarantine, and uh, according to Taz in the promo we cut, he's tested negative twice now. And I can't blame AEW for erring on the side of caution. So Moxley will not defend the title this coming Wednesday at the second part of Fighter Fest. Instead, he's going to now defend the title in two weeks on Fight for the Fallen, which is their big show also coming up on July 15th. So that match will take place. So it's interesting to see if NXT counters that programming by saying, okay, well, we could do a screwy finish here and then maybe do a rematch or, of course, my dreaded, which I can't stand. But in this case, I would understand it if Karrion Cross joined Cole and Lee for a triple threat that would then go up against Cage and Moxley on July 15th. I can see that happening. I don't know if it will. So now uh, we move along. In the main event, now this match was incredible. The main event, we get Io Shirai against Sasha Banks in a non-title. Now at the same time, we on AAW, it was up against Hangman and Omega versus the best friends. Now personally, I'd rather watch this match. That's just my take on that. I'd rather watch Io against Sasha. I'm not a big uh, fan of the best friends. And I just don't really care for that tag team being a main event in general. I know it's a tag team title match. I get it. Not for me. And we'll talk about that quarter hour a little bit later because I did get quarter hours this time, people. So we're going to do a full comprehensive ratings breakdown. Now, coming in, I was thinking, of course, we're going to get a great match here between Io and Sasha. Now, you know me, right? I'm always thinking, okay, what's the finish? How's... And we always have to remember how NXT people are treated against main roster. So we have to... Okay, well, everyone would then think, all right, Sasha's going to win, right? Because that's how they've been treated. And, I mean, I don't want to... That's another thing. Do you want to get beat with a screw job too? Who knows? But I, I thought we would get some kind of screwy finish here because, of course... Bailey would be involved, and who knows who else. And that made me think, I was like, okay, well, based off of the match on Raw, I started thinking about this. This is way before I saw the main event, people. So this is this is my thought process going in. Well, why not Asuka? Asuka was involved in that Champions match, and, of course, she got pinned by Sasha Banks. So why not have Asuka come out at the end and help Io Shirai win? That was my thought. I was like, okay, let's see what happens here. So then, of course, if Asuka did help Io, that could lead to a tag match against Bailey and Sasha, which I think is ratings. If you do that for the tag titles, whether it's on NXT in a couple of weeks or even on Raw, let the world see Io on Raw. And you get some ratings out of that match, out of that tag match for the titles. Now, this match was on the methodical side. It was kind of slow. Not saying it was bad because I really liked it. I get it. It was really good. But sometimes WWE takes that slowness to another level. Where you're just waiting for something to happen. I mean, you can argue it was too slow. So we get to the finish. Bailey has the belt. And she gets involved with the ref. And of course, the ref is gone. And Bailey hits her. And I was like, oh no. Okay, Io's going to lose this way. They're going to do a screw job finish with Bailey getting involved. And all of a sudden, they turn back to the camera. And there's Asuka. And I went, wow. I called this. 
I'm not going to say I'm the only one who called this, but it makes sense. They did something logical. How about that? Let's applaud WWE. Now, I don't know who made this call. I'm more inclined to believe someone from the NXT side made this really good call to bring Asuka over. I can't imagine someone like Pritchard or another idiot from that side said, uh, okay, you can use Asuka. I'm sure they made the call said we want to use Asuka because it makes sense. So then, of course, we get the mist and EO wins. And listen, the end of NXT was perfection. They got it right. I, I was really impressed with how NXT did that. So there's not much more from NXT. We'll talk about the quarters in a little bit. So, I mean, I'm not going to go more into NXT until we get into the actual ratings. So moving along. So let's go to Fighter Fest in general. So we get the show starts and Jericho is back on commentary. And obviously this is a ratings ploy, no doubt about it. The numbers have been down. Let's get Jericho on there. But here's the thing. If you're going to keep bringing Jericho out there to save the broadcast, so to speak, well then doesn't that make someone else expendable? Do you need to keep having the three-man team as you do now? Maybe, maybe the team would be better if you got one guy out of there. I don't know who. Or maybe there's another person that isn't in the company now. You can add and make it a better listen. If they think it's not as entertaining already, well, then you got to make a call, right? We'll see what they do. So MJF, typical promo, amazing promo. Had a great line talking about Luchasaurus. He only, not only is his tongue green, uh, but then, of course, he was basically referring to the fact that his work is green, which is really true. He's been exposed a lot, Luchasaurus, and this, and just in terms of like he's a good spot guy. Don't get me wrong, Luchasaurus is a tremendous athlete. He works really well for big man. But in terms of his timing, in terms of uh, selling, and a couple other things, Luchasaurus kind of just misses it a little bit. He's he's still green, but he's get, he'll he'll get better. I imagine if he cares, he'll get better. Then, of course, uh, MGF has a great line about Tony Khan and uh, counting his daddy's money in California. Of course, he mentioned him being the ratings grab. We'll find out if, MF, if MJF was the ratings grab in a little bit. Tag match was really good. This, all right, I dump on AEW a lot for their tag matches. A lot of this stuff is nonsensical, and I talk about the lack of psychology. But this match was fun. I'm not going to break it down and say, okay, what was missing, what was lacking psychology, what didn't make sense. I had fun watching this match. I actually became a fan watching it instead of the usual critic that I am. I think that may apply to others too. There's way too many critics out there instead of just being a fan. Um, So Wardlow, Jungle Boy, they both look great in this match, as did MJF. Like I said, Luchasaurus has work to do, but he had some good moments in this match also. And I was like, not even, now Marco Stunt got involved in this. I was like, oh no, here we go again. He's going to ruin this match. Not even his involvement could hurt this match. It was that good. Uh, JR, of course, with Jericho a little bit throughout the night, were focusing on the tag rules, which AEW needs to follow. They kind of let the tag rules go out the door, window, whatever you want to call it, regarding um, the 10 count. You have 10 seconds if you're going to do a double team to get out of the ring. And uh, we'll talk more about that later because there was more taking advantage of that rule in the main event. So... Uh, moving along with the match, MJF, he goes to use the ring, right? He's going to use the ring. And then I believe Luchasaurus ducked out of the way. And MJF is right there in front of Wardlow. And he tells him that he can't do anything right. So uh, he gets dumped over. Then basically, for like a good minute, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus are double teaming. Now, I don't know if the 10 count applied there also, because a lot of that didn't make any sense. 
And then Luchasaurus hits the uh, moonsault, standing moonsault, for the win. So it was kind of odd how long it took to beat Wardlow in that last 30, 45 seconds or whatever that was. Again, good match. I'm not taking anything away from it. Whatever, finish, doesn't bother me that much. Good match, a lot of fun. Then we get a uh, some kind of video package for, what is this next week? The Puppy Battle Royal. Um, signs of desperation, anyone? I don't know. What are you trying to accomplish here? I, clearly, you're going to get some women tuning in if they find out about this. There's no way. I just referenced the women from the 80s and how they don't watch anymore. Well, if they promote the, this puppy battle royal next week, they may get a huge number increase in women aged 18 to 49. That's for sure. So when we get Akaru Shida against Penelope Ford for the uh, AW title, this was good. Better than expected. Better than most AEW women's matches. I enjoyed it. Uh, we'll break it down again. Everything is going to be broken down and how well this did in the ratings compared to the previous quarter. Uh, tremendous work from Penelope Ford. What can you say? Everything she did looked good. I'm not going to get into details in terms of like what didn't look good. But uh, overall, an enjoyable match. I had fun watching this. And they even did some good teases towards the end. The teasers are key there because there are a couple times you're like, wait, can Penelope Ford win? And that's how you get an audience to care about a match. You got to tease it. A couple false finishes are fine as long as you're not doing 30 of them. I mean, it was it was well done and Sheeta retains the title. I applaud that. Good job. Okay, so now we get this U.S. title match. Cody against Jake Hager. And the match was okay. Nothing was ridiculous, although you can say Dustin coming out towards the end was kind of stupid. And eh, it was that kind of bothered me, the finish. I I, I hated the, fin the actual finish from the standpoint of it makes Hager look weak. And, and, and Cody doesn't sell. All right, so here's what happens. Hager hits the Uranagi. And then he goes into his head and arm choke, to which Cody escapes, reverses, and gets a pinfall out of it. It was some bogus cheap pin. Okay, fine. I, I, I understand the story and that they're going to tell in that. But here's my biggest problem. And it was the same problem in the Darby Allen match. He took a super, superplex. Superplex, not a suplex. And then all of a sudden, he does a pin out of it. That roll-up pin. Same kind of pin here. So you're not selling the Uranagi. You're not selling it. And then afterwards, which makes no sense whatsoever, Cody looks like he's out of it. And even the commentators are selling it that he's out of it. But I'm sorry, he won the match. So you're telling me he was unconscious and somehow mysteriously and miraculously pulled that move off while he was unconscious? It, they they kind of missed that there. They miss it, and I don't like it. Then you have Hager snapping afterwards, and he beats on the ref. Why did he beat on the ref and not Cody? Where's the post-match heat? I want to see a guy like Hager who loses a match like that beat up everybody he should have beat up Arn. he should have beat up cody he should have been standing over everybody it doesn't make any sense what they do sometimes just make hager look terrible and at the end of the day hager is an undefeated mma guy but guess what he's 0-2 now in aew title matches and i'm not saying he had a win listen i'm not saying he had to beat cody if you want to keep cody going strong that's up to you I'm sure, I mean, Cody's one of the vice presidents, right? Whatever the hell his title is. 
So he's going to keep the title on himself. But how about you give me a DQ finish then? Jericho's a commentary, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Jericho the leader of the inner circle and Jake Hager's his guy? Why doesn't Jericho leave the commentary table, come over, do something to maybe where they just straight up get disqualified? Or you can do a different screwy finish where Jericho tries to hand Hager some foreign object and Cody uses it and he hits Hager and then Hager's knocked out and Cody wins that way. Give me some kind of way you then create dissension within the inner circle. More on them a little bit later. I mean, just little things that don't make sense. Just to get keep guys strong. And look, okay, people are going to argue, all right, yeah, but, but you're getting a clean finish. And how about all the years in wrestling, we didn't get clean finishes. That's fair. You got a clean finish. But what does it do to Jake Hager? What is Jake Hager's future now? You, you pump him up and then he just, now he's just getting beat all the time. Not I say all the time, I mean two title matches. And then I say, they were talking about the time limit during the match. Remember, this was a 20 minute time limit. It wasn't your typical 60 minute time limit. And I said, well, why not do a draw? Cody hasn't done a draw since Darby Allen. And how long ago was that? You're telling me you couldn't give Hager a draw here just to keep him strong? And then you could revisit that feud later on? I didn't like it. Didn't like it. Bothered me. So moving along, private party against Santana and Ortiz. Early on in the infancy stages, and you can still say they are, maybe they're the embryonic stages, if you will, no longer a zygote. Okay, I'm going off on a t- <laughs> The private party, still young in this business. I enjoyed their work early on, okay? I hadn't seen them before. I got to see how athletic Mark Quinn is. I liked his work, and even though they were spots, and it looked like that's all they did was spot fest, I enjoyed it because I hadn't seen it. It was okay to me. Now as you watch more and more of Private Party, okay, when does this tag team mature? When do they learn how to work? When do they learn how to do actual wrestling moves? Because Mark Quinn comes into the match and he does a moonsault. Then he does a, a off-the-rope moonsault. Then he does an insiguri. Then he does all these crazy kicks and wild moves. But not one wrestling hold. I didn't see Mark Quinn apply a wrestling hold this entire match. And I think I watched it twice. I, I, I did watch it twice. And I didn't see. I was like looking for him. Give me Mark Quinn doing a wrestling hold. Didn't do it. Hard to care about this match, if you ask me. A lot going on here. Again, guys do every spot there is. And here's another thing. Santana and Ortiz lost, as did Hager. What's going on with the inner circle? They're just like turning into the job squad here. So we'll see what happens. That Then we get uh, Taz cuts the promo on Moxley that I mentioned earlier. Uh, it was funny that he took shots at WWE in their whole COVID testing. We'll see what happens there. Moving along, we get the main event. Again, we talk about this main event. Best friends who come out. By the way, Justin Roberts introduced the best friends as coming to the ring being driven by Trent's mother. This is wrestling in 2020, people. Trent's mom kisses him. Okay, I have no problem with that. But do we need to hear about the introduction that they were driven to the ring by their mother? It's, it's ridiculous. This is, can we take this serious at all? Is everything a joke? And again, we get more face-to-face matches. There's no heels here. So we're going to get more spots, no heat. Let's hit every move known to man. 
What does it mean? Uh, Ref Aubrey again exposed with the 10 count we just mentioned earlier. Jericho and JR talking about it. The fact that Omega is sitting in the ring for, for like 25, 30 seconds doing tag team moves with, with his partner, Hangman Page. No rules are adhered to in AEW. And Ref Arby looks like an idiot because of it. She can't count. She's told not to count. We're going to abuse the rules and we're going to make everyone angry about it. I think, I think that's what their plan is. They just want to piss everybody off. So how can I take the best friend seriously, right? Forget about the mom and the whole driving to the ring thing. You're in a tag team title match. You're on the brink of becoming the tag team champions. And at the out of nowhere, Chuck Taylor grabs Beretta for the proverbial hug. Did we need the hug? Did we need it there? Do we need it in every match? Just like do we need every high spot in every private party match? What does it mean? What is the I'd rather see them hug after they won the tag team titles. It would mean that much more, would it not? So then, of course, you get the finish. I knew, I knew, I knew best friends were not winning the titles. I absolutely knew that. So then, I think what Hangman hit the lariat. He hit the buckshot lariat for the win. And then afterwards, we get FTR comes out, and this was bizarre how they ended the show. So FTR comes out. They have beer, and they get. They were already at the, at the broadcast table, by the way. I didn't mention that earlier. So. They bring the beer. They give it to Paige and Omega. Paige, of course, will drink any beer. Omega doesn't drink. We learned that at the the last pay-per-view when Omega drank milk. He doesn't drink beer. So is FTR not paying attention? So it's stupid from the standpoint that they got offended by the fact Omega didn't drink the alcohol and he just poured it out. I don't think it was being disrespectful. It was just like, I don't drink milk. Maybe he could have just handed it back to them. I don't know. But it's so stupid that in 2020, this is how we're creating beef over a guy not drinking beer. It just makes no sense. It's like, it's desperate. It's stupid. All right. On the other side, we're going to come back and do a full comprehensive breakdown on the ratings. Then we're going to get into other stuff. Not much more after that, but uh, I want to really go over these ratings and tell you who's, who's drawing ratings and who's losing ratings. Morton's Law, back after this. Welcome back to Morton's Law. Thank you for joining me again, episode 20. Wanted to do a full breakdown here of these ratings. First of all, let's talk about the overall ratings number. And uh, impressive from the standpoint of the overall combined number. So AEW last week lost by 150,000 viewers this week the numbers uh went up so the numbers went up now nxt won again they had 792,000 total viewers and aw went up to 748 748,000 so they jumped up almost a hundred over a hundred thousand viewers and still lost so while that's alarming the key number here keep in mind and this is what everyone talks about and chris jericho even tweeted it during the week while AW lost, they won the more important number, the 18 to 49 demographic, beating them by a decent amount of, of margin. I mean, not that big, but they beat them and they finished number six, whereas NXT finished 13, which is still respectable for both in terms of the overall ratings for the night of Wednesday. 
So Jericho made sure to emphasize that because everyone's been trashing AEW's ratings. And they talk about TV advertising and that's the only demo they really care about. So with that said, let's go into these quarter hours and see what drew and what didn't. So let's go to AEW Dynamite. In the first quarter, we got the, the tag match with Jurassic Express, MJF, and Wardlow. That drew almost 800,000, 799, 799. And then in the next segment, you get this Archer, Joey Janela brawl, by the way, that's a match next week. I don't care about that match, it's so stupid. Archer should squash Janela in 30 seconds, it's worthless. So then the beginning of the Sheeta Penelope Ford match, that was 727,000, so it dropped almost 100,000 viewers for that just quarter. But then as the match built with Sheeta and Ford, it picked back up. It went back to 787,000, so it was up 60,000 viewers as that match concluded, which is impressive. However, in your fourth quarter, guess what? Cody versus Jake Hager, right? Cody, isn't he the guy? He's supposed to be the guy. They lost 4,000 viewers from the previous quarter. And then to end the Cody match, they did they did regain viewers as the Cody match went on. The end of that match going into the private party tag team match, they went up 31,000. So the beginning of Cody lost and then gained. And the rest of it here, I'm going to say what's that important. I don't really care about the, um, oh, the end of the private party match lost 90,000 viewers. Oh, and this hurts too. Because talk about Jericho and the Orange Cassidy brawl that I didn't reference during the review. That lost 90,000 viewers that entire quarter right there. So that says a lot. And then the main event, listen to this. The main event, Omega and Paige against the best friends, one of their lowest numbers ever, 645,000. They lost an incredible amount of viewers for that. They lost 64,000 from the previous quarter. That's terrible. Now, look at NXT conversely. In their first quarter, that tag match that I didn't talk about with the women, uh, Mia Yim, Candice LeRae against Kai and Knox, they started out with 839,000. So while MJF had a great quarter, he still lost. He still lost to this women's tag match. That says a lot. And then, um, what was it? The end of that match, excuse me, it wasn't a tag. It was a four-way. Pardon me. I don't know why I said tag. That was a four-way, a tray. Tegan Knox actually won, which surprised me because, oh, that was another thought I had that I didn't write down. Tegan Knox wins that feud, right? So then what, what was the point in turning Kai heel? What did you get out of Kai becoming a heel? I guess you wanted to build Knox as the star. I thought I thought Kai was the bigger star. So I'm wrong. I guess I'm wrong. That was their thought. I personally thought Kai was going to be the star that, as the heel. So then, uh, let me see, that dropped. There was a significant drop for the next one. 788, so they lost, what was it? They lost 51,000 viewers. Now, okay, let's talk about this for a second. Timothy Thatcher, this this catches catch can or Thatches, whatever they call him. I mean, come on. No one cares about that style in 2020, all right? When you talk about the history of wrestling, that style is like from the 1930s. Okay, maybe in the 70s, they were still kind of doing it in certain aspects. But in the 80s, go look around. Where were you getting that kind of match? Timothy Thatcher, 702,000 viewers. 702. They lost 86,000 viewers for that match. That went a while. 
So Rhea Ripley was next. That one, that Rhea Ripley picked the ratings back up. 62,000 viewers regained. Uh, the Roderick Strong was also up. Dexter Loomis up 12,000. So they continued to gain steam as the night went on. And then uh, the end of the Strong match with the Keith Lee video package. And of course, Adam Cole. 784,000. So that was up. Now... They took a little of a dip. Here's the interesting thing with the main event here. Uh, the EO versus Sasha. To start the segment, they took a dip of 2,000. But then listen to this. For the rest of the match, the last quarter hour, 900,000 viewers for Sasha Banks against EO Shirai. That is incredible. They absolutely destroyed the best friends, Hangman and Omega match. 900,000 to 645,000. That, that says it all. That says all you... I mean, no one cares about some of their tag matches. That's it. Oh, well. So, there was a ratings breakdown. I'm not going to do that every week. I just wanted to give you guys an idea of who's a ratings killer, who's a ratings success, right? I mean, people want to know that. I can't tell you that unless I break it down. Moving along, let's get into a little bit of Monday Night Raw. I'm not going to talk a lot about Raw here. I'm not. I did enjoy the chaotic open with Sasha Bailey and Asuka brawling in the ring. I, I think, and I always say this about AEW, I think sometimes certain segments need to have more chaos to it, more brawling. Let's just let's just go let's just go crazy sometimes. Let's have and I'm not talking about involving police and I hate that. People get locked up and security and just let them go. Just let them have fun. If I'm tuning in a channel and I want to see wrestling, and maybe I don't watch wrestling, and I turn it on and I see these people just going nuts, they're just beating the hell out of each other. And no one's breaking it up. I'm like, I don't want to turn this off. This is incredible. Why do I need security or police to break this up? Let them let them go. Have fun with that stuff. So that was good. Then we get McIntyre and Ziggler. They involved themselves in this, in this segment. I'll say this about McIntyre and Ziggler. We're going to get a good match, right? At Extreme Rules, you're going to get a good wrestling match. And again, the extreme aspect of it. Who knows how far they go with this. We get a regular wrestling match. Or we get a wild wrestling match. It'll be good, though. Nonetheless, you can't deny it. Uh, I believe McIntyre will retain. However, and this is key in the ratings aspect of this show. Now, when Heyman got released, fired, whatever you want to call it, Raw had a huge bounce back. Their ratings went from 1.7-ish to 1.9. They did 1.9 back-to-back weeks. Now, it looks like the honeymoon phase is over with those who wanted to see the older people. This show dropped back down to 1.7 and was really a low 1.7, not a mid 1.7. And the third hour, 1.5. 1.5 back to the numbers that were being drawn while Heyman was still in charge. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I don't think they'll pull the plug on McIntyre. I believe that if McIntyre is going to lose this title, and I don't know to whom, I don't know if Lesnar's coming back, I don't know their, their future plans here. But if McIntyre loses the title anytime soon, it will be at SummerSlam. I think they'd rather have him lose it at a bigger event. Moving on. Look, kids, it's the big show. Is he a legend, daddy? Well, no, kids. Sorry, WWE thinks so, but I don't. I mean, I'm, I, I can't deal with the big show in 2020. I don't care. If you care, enjoy. It's so stupid. I mean, look, Ric Flair was the only legend in that segment. That's it. And, and Flair's great again. I'm happy he recovered from uh, his battle with near death. 
He looks better, sounds better. Good for Ric Flair. And look, to no surprise, the Viking Raiders lost to Andrade and Garza. I'll just say this. When is their contract up? I want to know when the Viking Raiders contract is up. I hope people learn from this experience and not just the Viking Raiders. I want people to learn from the Gallows and Anderson. Now you can say, oh, well, they won the tag titles. It's how they were treated. They look like clowns most of the time, Gallows and Anderson. Of course, they threw them a bone and they were champions. Maybe more than once. I don't even care. That's not the point. They weren't booked to be anything that mattered. And this is what the Viking Raiders look like now. And we know they're better than this. And I just hope they go find it elsewhere. I mean, they could easily go back to New Japan. They could easily go back to Ring of Honor. They don't need AEW. So good luck to the Viking Raiders. But they've been killed off. Another casualty on WWE television. Now, I'm going to skip around because I can't be bothered with the entire show. I'm not going to talk about stupid things, especially our truth No, thank you. I have a legitimate question here. And please, uh, send me messages. Again, write reviews. Just talk to me. Tell me something. Talk to me. Um, does anyone care about Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio? I want to know. I really do. You care about this? Because it's hard for me to believe you care about this. Because I don't know if I should care about this. It's it's hard. Because, look, let's be fair. And I've said this many times on, in this in 20 episodes. They've killed they've killed Seth Rollins how many times? I mean, Seth Rollins was was I mean, the, the biggest kill of course of his career was how they treated him against the Fiend, where he's in the corner cowering like a like like a scaredy cat, if you will. <laughs> so I don't know if if Seth Rollins can ever be rebuilt in the eyes of the fans. That's the goal here, right? Is to rebuild him. Don't get me wrong, he's doing good stuff here. I'm not denying that. The whole taking the eye out of Mysterio, it's just like vintage, like 1980s good stuff here. I like that. I like it, but does, do, does anyone care? That's the question. And the tag match with Carrillo and Black, Carrillo, excuse me, and Aleister Black, it was a good match. It was Buddy Murphy, Rollins, it was a good tag match. Uh, the post-match stuff was also good. We're trying to take out Carrillo's eye. More, more good heel heat. Again, when the fans come back, if they do, we're going to find out if anyone cares about Rollins now as a heel. Does he get booed or does he get go-away heat? I don't know. Let's see. Now we get this horrible handicap match with the big show against your number one contenders, Garza and Andrade. Now, don't forget, they already killed Morrison and Miz. Well, I don't care about the Miz. They can kill the Miz every day with the Strowman handicap match at Backlash. So nothing surprises me. So again, they tease this whole teasing is another word. They've been doing it every week with Garza and Andrade looking like they're going to break up. So Garza walks out. Andrade loses and whatever. Do you care? They it, it tells me they don't care about anybody. Now, here's where I was surprised. I was like, is that Ricochet? Is that Cedric Alexander? They're alive? I thought they were gonna I was gonna see them on my milk carton. Like, have you seen these people? Did they get on camera by accident in that segment? I don't know. Well, I don't know. We'll talk about them a little bit more later. They actually appeared again. So, MVP against Apollo Crews in a non-title match. It looks like it's going towards this faction. I don't know if it's going to be a new nation of domination. I don't know what their plans are for this new faction, if it does happen. But MVP did win. Of course, Lashley helped. There was some help. So, Crews lost. And then it got post-match heat. And then Ricochet came out. And I was like, wait, Ricochet's going to wrestle? What did he do to deserve this? I couldn't believe it. 
So now he's in there with Lashley, and he got offense. I was like, I was thinking it's going to be a complete squash. Lashley's going to kill him in 30 seconds. But they give Ricochet some offense. Of course, Lashley won. But look, here's the sad part about all this, is that all this stuff here, and we talk about the main event, which was, I thought, okay, let's get into the main event before I talk about the sad part. When you look at this tag match, champions versus challengers, you get McIntyre and Asuka against Sasha and Ziggler, right? I think this is a well-booked match, something people should care about. I would want to see this. I did like to see it. I was, I thought it was a good, it wasn't long, but it was a good match. And here's the sad part. The third hour got a 1.5. So is it, is it really just about the third hour? Like I'm curious with this with this tag match and what the the previous segment and anything in this third hour would have drawn in a previous hour. I don't think people are turning off McIntyre, Banks, Oscar. They're not. They just people are done by the third hour. They're exhausted. They don't want to see a third hour. I don't know what they could ever do. What can they really do to fix that problem? But I, I like the way they booked that. It was well done. So let's get into New Japan Pro Wrestling. New Japan, the, uh, the New Japan Cup. So let's get to the second round. I got to go to second round of semifinals. And then, of course, the finals are upcoming. So this is a lot here. So we get a great match in the second round against, again, Hiromu Takahashi and Ishii. Here's the thing, and I'm going to talk about this a lot as we go here in these uh, few minutes I talk about this uh, event. It's a junior heavyweight, Hiromu, against a legit heavyweight, Ishii. I feel Ishii has like at least a 30-pound weight advantage, if not more. And he's selling everything. And it's just too much selling. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with the selling. I understand you have to have this match. This is the, the tournament style that they do, but this is why, like the UFC has weight classes. This is why there's weight classes. You can't tell me, and this match was what, what over 15 minutes, I think, that a junior heavyweight should be able to stand in the middle of the ring with a heavyweight and trade punches or forearms. He should always be knocked down, always. It makes the heavyweight look weak. And they did this in this match, and they're going to do it in other matches I'm going to talk about. So, and Ishii, by the way, I'm, I'm really tired of this. And Kevin Kelly kind of referenced it during the match, where he says, okay, well, is it the brain buster or is it not a brain buster? What Ishii uses is not a brain buster. He doesn't do anything to snap the neck. It's a vertical suplex. Stop calling it a brain buster. And let's teach him how to snap the neck and use the brain buster. So Hiromu advances with a variation of the ticking time bomb. Then we get Yoshihashi against Evil. Another second round match. Uh, Yoshihashi came in favoring his ankle. I guess he heard it in the first round matchup. So then Evil, pre-bell, attacks him. And then destroys his ankle with the chair. Now, somehow the ref rings the bell and they start the match. What? How is this possible? Please explain to me how you start the match after you let the opponent destroy this guy. This should have been like, okay, well, we're going to do this match later. How about Evil is just disqualified anyway? You let him. So that means anyone can essentially kill someone before the match and just then beat him afterwards. Which is what happened here. So then Evil slaps on a scorpion deathlock with the injured leg. And Yoshihashi doesn't tap out to his credit. The ref calls for the bell. 
I thought this was very odd. I, I don't understand. I love New Japan, but some of their stuff also doesn't make sense. You can just kill anyone before a match. And um, I, I, I kind of hinted at it earlier, and I'm going to say more of it. This 50-50, the, what you WWE and United States fans know is the yay boo. The John Cena, we're going to punch each other in the middle of the ring. The crowd's going to go yay, and the other half is going to go boo. New Japan, which is strong style, they do this with forearms. They do it with forearms. The problem is they do it every fucking match, and I can't stand it. It doesn't mean anything, especially when you're doing it with a junior heavyweight and a heavyweight. It makes no sense. The heavyweight should squash the junior every time. Boom, down. Why is a heavyweight selling for a junior? Stupid. So then we get Sonata against Tai Chi. This was this was really good. I mean, I thought this was set up for Tai Chi to advance. I thought this was Tai Chi's time to advance his career in New Japan. I thought this was it. So now we don't get any Zack Sabre Jr. interference. Of course, they're part of the Suzuki-gun uh, clique. But then we get Kanemura, who was at the broadcast table. So he comes and distracts the ref. And then I'm like, okay, Tai Chi's going to win. We get to some distraction from Suzuki-gun. And then Sonata hits a roll-up bridge for the win. And I went, what? I was like, why did he win? I didn't understand that. But then I go, okay, well, that makes sense. Because now we're going to get Sonata and Evil in the semis. I believe it's happened before, though. I can see if your goal is to get, by the way, Evil and Sonata, for those who don't watch New Japan, are former tag team champions. So I'm like, okay, well, then they've, if they've done it already, why not you put Tai Chi in that position? So I don't know. I have to go look that up, though, but I do believe Sonata and Evil have faced each other already, and maybe it was in last year's G1, in fact. Um, another little pet peeve is, is... Now, look. I feel like sometimes New Japan does a little too much Western style in terms of the outside interference. It was, well... It was done way too much in this tournament. This is a prestigious tournament. It should be more about in-ring stuff. Every match is on the outside. Every match, everyone's trying to kill each other with chairs and, and foreign objects and this and that. And it's just, oh, it's too much. Go just get a regular wrestling match. Moving along, semifinals. Semifinals. Uh, now, for the first time in 30 years, New Japan was broadcast on regular TV in Japan, which was really cool. So you can only imagine it was getting a mega a mega audience for this show that took place, what was it, two nights ago now, because I just concluded watching this earlier. So this was an amazing show. Um, I'm sure, I'm, I would like to see what ratings in terms of Japan and how they, how they look at the ratings for how this did. It was also live. It was broadcast live. So we get Sonata versus Evil, uh, former, like I mentioned, IWGP Tag Champs. Now the match starts and Sonata offers a hand. Evil shakes the hand. Then out of nowhere, Evil attempts everything is evil. Sonata counters with Skull End. Kevin Kelly says the following. It appears as if Evil cannot be trusted. Um, Kevin, his name is Evil. It's like, what? <laughs> when should we trust him? I'm not even sure if his own wife, Io Shirai, trusts him. Can you trust the man? His name is Evil. I don't know. So with that said, I, I know the whole trust thing I just mentioned, but you would think with tag team partners, former champions, there should be some mutual respect. 
but Evil, staying true to his name, literally tries to kill Sonata. He wraps a chair around his head and then throws him into the steel post. And I'm like, all right, this is too much. This is too much. I didn't get it. Like, now you're trying to kill your partner. It was like Janetti and Michaels. Let's just throw him through glass while we're at it. And we get an ugly botch. This was ugly, by the way. Uh, Sonata landed on his head. And I was like, whoa. You start thinking immediately of his fellow LIJ teammate, which is uh, Takahashi that we spoke about earlier. And, uh, you know, remember, he landed on his neck in that match against Dragon Lee and was out for over a year. So you start getting worried about Sonata. So Sonata did recover, thankfully. And then he locked in another skull end. This one was more effective, though, because, I mean, this, excuse me, this one was not as effective as the first one. Because in the first skull end earlier in the match, he had it under his neck where it looked like Evil couldn't get out. This time, Evil's head is completely out. So I think they need to see that more as they do these matches. And like, wait, how is Evil in pain right now? His whole head is exposed. So what is he, what is being hurt at this moment? I didn't get that. Okay, now here's where they ruin a good match by just doing unnecessary things, all right? So Evil throws Sonata into the ref. Ref bump, ref is outside. Evil goes with a low blow. Okay, fine, no problem, I get it so far. And then again, Evil goes nuts. He gets two chairs, puts one around the injured neck, and swings and hits a home run. Ichiro Suzuki, Grand Slam, on Sonata's neck. His tag team partner. Sonata's in agony. So now I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, this would make sense if Sonata, he should be incapable. Well, first of all, he should be done. His ma- The match should be over. So Evil should go get him, throw him into the ring, and hit everything as evil, and win the match, right? So he picks him, he, he spreads his legs, and he stomps him right in the, you know where, right in the junk. And then exactly what I thought would happen, happened. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm on the same thought process as, as Gato booking this. So he went outside, threw him in, hit everything as evil, and pinned him. Now, Kevin Kelly had a great point afterwards. He goes, how can Sonata ever look at his teammate the same way again? I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. It's like, bro, you just tried to end my career. (laughs) I know we're going for the eventual title shot with the IWGP title, but did you have to kill me, bro? I was like, what? (laughs) I don't know. Okay. So, uh, and then... We get the other semifinal that just I uh, just finished watching a little bit while ago. Okada against Hiromu Takahashi. Winner against Evil on July 11th. The bell rings and they don't do anything. The bell rings and they literally look at each other. And I'm like, okay, some psychological warfare. That's okay. And would be okay. However, didn't isn't this the same Hiromu who literally feared Yano and a, a pair of clippers? He feared Yano in Clippers. He didn't want to wrestle Yano. I mean, he ended up beating him in, in this tournament via countout. But now all of a sudden, I'm supposed to believe that Takahashi doesn't fear one of the greatest IWGP champions of all time. So he's confident in this match, but feared Yano. Whatever. So Okada works on the injured neck, which makes sense. We get lots of stun gun drop kicks or shotgun, excuse me. We get like there were so many shotgun drop kicks, I lost track. Now this match is at 15 minutes and it starts to bother me. Now I know they love these long matches in New Japan, I get that. But sometimes it's absurd. This is a heavyweight against a junior heavyweight. 
This is one of the greatest IWGP champions of all time. And he's now working over 15 minutes with a granted. He is the current IWGP junior heavyweight champion, but you're losing me here as you go with too much selling from Mokata. Um, now I know, look, Meltzer's going to give this match six stars, maybe seven or eight or 10. Who knows how many stars will give it. Now we're 20 minutes in and we get more drop kicks. So now they're just repeating moves. They're repeating moves as we're 20 in. Okada hits a, stoom, a tombstone pile driver, one of his, his setup moves to his finisher. Then he goes to the Cobra Clutch. He goes to the Cobra Clutch, and I'm thinking, okay, match is over because he just hit the neck that Takahashi has damaged, right? He should tap out. You would think this guy with a devastating neck, neck injury would be done. Nope, not done. Guess what happens? Hiromu powers up, gets him in the fireman's carry, and drives him into the corner. A man that weighs 40 more pounds than him, 20 minutes in, he has this power-up ability. Super Cena, anyone. So now, Okada, then, oh, so then uh, Hiromu hits the time bomb, his finisher. Okada kicks out, that makes sense. I mean, if, if Hiromu can kick out of everything Okada's done, why can't he kick out of one thing? Now we're 25 minutes in, and another tombstone. This time, no cover. What? You don't cover the guy? Now, this is where it gets stupid. He goes for another Cobra Clutch. Hiromu looks done. Ref is, Red Shoes is checking on him. He looks out. Ring the bell. He looks out, and then out of nowhere, Okada lets it go. Then he picks him up and hits a slew of Rainmakers, his former finisher. And then... Then he goes for another Cobra Clutch. And I'm like, okay, this is stupid. Finally, finally, Red Shoes rings the bell and calls for the match, and it's over. Os Okada advances to face Evil... Osaka Joe Hall, July 11th in the finals. And then the winner of that match will take on Naito to become a dual champion because Naito, of course, is the IWGP champion and the Intercontinental champion. So we're going to get fans back. Also, don't forget. So we're going to see, I believe, 33% capacity, which should be roughly 6,000 people at Osaka Joe Hall on the 11th and 12th. So, yeah, that was. Don't get me wrong. I love New Japan. Love it. But some of the things they do, it's just unrealistic. I'm sorry. You, oh, Takahashi should not be in there 27 minutes with a former five-time, one of the greatest of all time. Especially when he attacks his neck. His neck should be done. All right. Well, all right. coming back, we have a little bit. On sports, we got Cam Newton, John Carlos Stanton tries to kill his teammate, and some UFC, Morton's Law. One more segment coming back after this. Shit. 
Welcome back to Morton's Law. Thank you, everybody, for joining me on this episode 20. Got a few more things to get into, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, First thing I wanted to talk about is Cam Newton. Cam Newton is a New England Patriot, and apparently a lot of people are not happy about it, and I don't get it. I don't get the hate for Cam Newton. Um, When you look back at his career, his career is not as bad as people think. He's only 31, and when you think about where he's going, And who he's going to be coached by now. When you look at Bill Belichick, arguably the greatest coach of all time. I won't call him the greatest coach because what do we know? I mean, based on championships, okay, fine. But the thing is this. When you look at Cam Newton, now who's going to be also coached by Josh McDaniels, what's going to be the goal there, right? The ultimate goal, stay in the pocket. You don't have to run unless there's no choice. That is the goal. Keep him healthy upright, make good decisions, and just be the best pocket passer possible. Think about his 2015 MVP season, 35 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. I'm not going to tell you he's going to duplicate that. Not at all. But I think he's going to be better than people give him credit for as long as he matures as a quarterback under their tutelage and makes the right decisions that he has to make. Look, every quarterback has to run at some point. I mean, Brady, 20 years in the league, he got great protection, but occasionally a pocket does break down. But the goal is to stay in the pocket as long as possible, even when it does break down, in terms of maybe you step up into the pocket. You don't always have to cross that line of scrimmage. Keep the play alive. Look for your receiver. Keep looking downfield. Somebody breaks open, especially against some of these zone coverages you see today. Someone's always running open, and you end up seeing it after the play's over. They show you on replay. This guy's wide open. The quarterback didn't see him. It happens all the time. I'm a Bears fan. I know for a fact that Mitchell Trubisky misses many open receivers. So every quarterback is guilty of it. So Cam Newton can definitely, I'm not saying return to 2015, but he can be better than everyone has given him credit for. When you look at his career, not only that, but I know last year he missed. He Well, he played two games before he got hurt. But in 2018, he's coming off of a career best, 67.9% completion. And when you look at his career numbers, 182 touchdowns and 108 interceptions. That's remarkable. That's better than you would think. I didn't even know that. When I looked it up, I was impressed by those numbers. I mean, not a lot of touchdown passes, but the ratio TD to interception is better than than, than a lot of people, a lot of great quarterbacks. So I think people need to give him some slack. Unfortunately, listen, let's be honest about New England where he's going, okay? (laughs) I'm not saying they're in love with the black quarterback up there. We'll just put it that way. (laughs) I have to be brutally honest. I hate to be him after a loss, that's for sure. He's going to get all the blame, no doubt about it. So moving on. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of John Carl Stanton. I don't know. Those who are new to the show and who have never heard me before, I haven't really had a chance to rant on him. But when he came to the Yankees initially, I was dead set against his trade. I didn't want him here. I didn't think the Yankees needed him. When you looked at the depth that they had in the minor league system, they had guys ready, guys coming up. And I thought Cashman made a bad decision. We talk about taking on a bad contract. I mean, this is this is this rivals the Jacoby Ellsbury contract that you would think Cashman would learn from. All right, why are we gonna take on another bad one? We just got rid of one. But this is what they did when they lost in 2017. To the Astros, who we later learned cheated, they decided, well, he decided that we needed a slugger. The Yankees didn't need another slugger. They needed another contact guy. And I'm not going to say 
Stanton has never been a contact guy. I mean, he's, he's had seasons in which he's hit 270, but for the most part, he strikes out way too much. So in certain clutch situations, instead of maybe moving a guy over, getting a sack fly, he's striking out. He's ending situations where a contact, a better contact hitter, is going to get that guy over or he's going to get that sack fly. And, and those are crucial situations, and we witnessed that in 2018. I mean, not the exact situation, but think about that. Ninth inning in Fenway, I don't remember what game it was. He's facing Kimbrell, Yankees down a run, and he looks at three straight pitches down the middle of the plate. Didn't swing once. because You know why? Because he was guessing. John Carlos Stanton is his own worst enemy at times, and I think a lot of hitters who strike out that much can be their own worst enemy. They overthink things simplify it. What do they always talk about? Great hitters talk about you're always looking fastball and you, and you, and you adjust to whatever else is thrown. That's the thing. You adjust to anything after a fastball. And I believe Kimbrough threw him three straight fastballs, if I remember correctly. And he was always looking breaking ball. Huge. I mean, and, and then to make matters worse for those who aren't aware, because look, I've been under a rock with baseball. I know it's back. We get 60 game schedule. I don't love this 60-game schedule. I'm not a big fan of it. I don't like the fact that we're going to even get interleague in a short season. We don't need interleague, do we? I mean, I had a proposal for 81 games in which you play your division and then you play some other teams in the same league. No need for interleague play. And now we're only getting 60 games. And look, there's a whole another topic there. You could talk about the owners and players and how much they fought throughout this whole pandemic in terms of getting a season together in general. And it's been an epic fail for the most part. And look... I mean, Freddie Freeman just tested positive for COVID. Three other Braves did. We don't know if we're even going to get a season. We have, what, the season starts July 24th? We have, what, 18 days for more people to test positive? Who knows what it will take for them to just say, all right, we're canceling this. We're shutting this down. All these other states throughout this country now are realizing that we're in the second wave. The second wave exists. It's real. And for those people who say, no, we're still in the first wave, it can't be a first wave when we dealt with the curve. Let's just say that. We we lowered the numbers by being quarantined for the amount of time we've been. And while it didn't end the virus per se, it came back. It came back full strength that people didn't, people doubted. It's here. It's back again. And unfortunately, I mean, look at Texas, look at Arizona, Florida, all three of those states, a total disaster right now. So with that said, that's not even the worst news about John Carlos Stanton. Yesterday, Yankees are working out at the stadium, and he hits a long drive off of Masato Tanaka's head. I was like, what? Couldn't believe that. I saw the video. Thankfully, Tanaka is going to, I mean, he's not dead. I mean, I know he's going to miss time. I don't know the significance of the injury. I didn't look it up. But, I mean, that's just, and my joke, of course, was that that will be Stanton's best contact all year. I mean, here is the good news. He can't strike out 200 times in a 60-game season. I want to almost guarantee he can't strike out 200 times. I hope he doesn't prove me wrong here. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with this baseball season, if it even gets started. So uh, last but not least, UFC 251 is next Saturday night at Fight Island. It finally debuts the island. And um, it looks like Burns against Usman is not going to happen. Uh, Burns, they, they, didn't, they didn't say he tested positive for COVID, but he's sick, so I believe he's going to get tested now, and we'll see what happens. But it looks like he's out. And Masvidal, Jorge Masvidal, who's had his issues with Dana White, we talk about here on this show, his uh, money issues that he's had, he wants to be paid more. 
Dana White fired back and said, well, you're under contract. You just signed a new contract. You have seven more fights on this deal. I can't just tear up your contract. You agreed to that contract. So that's going to be the issue now. As reportedly, Masvidal, who's the third-ranked welterweight in the world, it would make sense for him to fight for this title now that Burns is out. Can they get this deal done? Can the deal get done? Because Masvidal against Usman is going to be an incredible fight. No doubt about it. For those unfamiliar with both, Usman has won, I believe, every fight in the UFC. In fact, that's correct. He has not lost in the UFC. He's coming off of a, a win against Colby Covington, a stoppage in the fourth round prior to that. He won a unanimous decision against former champ Tyron Woodley, dominated Woodley. Masvidal, on the other hand, has, has come on as of late. Masvidal has had a tale of two careers, if you will. The thing about Masvidal is he is, without question, I mean, for those who saw, he won the baddest MF title against Nate Diaz for a reason. Because Masvidal is the guy who will stay in the pocket and will bang with everybody. And to his credit, while he has 13 losses, now if you look at their records, you're going to be like, okay, Usman should be an overwhelming favorite. I don't think he'll be overwhelming. He'll be a favorite. But Masvidal, when you look at his history, and I looked this up today, he has lost his last nine fights via decision. He has not been finished since 2009. That's incredible. That is an incredible feat. So, I mean, you can almost mark it down that this fight is going the distance unless you get a fluke finish somehow. But this, I hope it happens. I really do. The UFC needs this fight. This will be great to add to the laundry list of great fights we've already seen during this pandemic. Incredible. And uh, I look forward to this card next Saturday night, and I'm sure the news will break whether this uh, this fight is signed or not. So with that said, that wraps up another edition of Morton's Law. Thank you for joining me. I'll check you guys out again next week. Please, again, support the YouTube channel. Subscribe. Check me out on Twitter, Instagram, Morton's underscore law. And I'll see you next week. Take care and God bless gay sex.